Chapter 2 The second witness's name was Erlene Blunt, a widow in her middle fifties. She called herself and was known locally as the Windmill Lady. The reason for that was abundantly evident when I arrived at a roadside home a half-mile or so from the scene of the accident. The front and side yards, both shaded by tall pines, were a riot of windmills. Little ones not much bigger than pinwheels, large ones taller and broader than garden statuary, and dozens in between. All shapes and sizes, some plain, some painted bright colors and adorned with whimsical illustrations, each, according to the information I had, handmade by the widow Blunt with the assistance of an unmarried daughter she lived with. The ones on display here served as advertisements as well as yard decorations. Mrs. Blunt made her living, or part of it, selling other of her creations to various shops along the river and elsewhere in the general area. On this drizzly, windy afternoon, the blades on all of them were spinning merrily and more quietly than you'd expect. Very well constructed, Mrs. Blunt's windmills. She was home and much more receptive to me and the purpose of my visit than George Orcutt had been. Her only reactions were a philosophical sigh and, I guess I'm not surprised the way I keep getting called into court for jury duty. She invited me inside, introduced me to her shy and rather homely daughter, Jean, offered me hot tea or coffee, I accepted the latter, and sent Jean off to do the fetching. We sat in comfortable overstuffed chairs in a living room brimming with table-size examples of her art. I told her I thought she did wonderful work, and the compliment put her in an even more receptive mood. I've always been fascinated by windmills and their history, she said. Did you know that the first one was invented by a Greek engineer, Haran of Alexandria, in the first century A.D.? No, I didn't. Oh, yes. Others were used as prayer wheels in China and Tibet dating back to the fourth century. Of course, mine have no practical purpose. Some folks consider designing and building miniatures a frivolous pursuit, but others seem to be charmed by them. The daughter came in with a tray, set it down on the table between her mother and me, and drifted away without a word. Mrs. Blunt abused her cup of tea with three teaspoons of sugar and a splash of what looked like skim milk. She was not quite as overweight as her daughter, but still on the heavy side, a gray-haired, rosy-cheeked woman with a nice-dentured smile. Her hands were large and bore the calluses and other marks of her profession. God forbid she should ever develop severe arthritis. Well then, she said as I took a sip of black coffee, you have questions about the accident, you said? A few, yes. I don't know what I can tell you that I didn't tell the investigating officers, but go ahead and ask. Let's start by going over exactly what you saw. You were following behind the Clements vehicle when it happened? That's right. I'd just left the Rio Verde market. Several car lengths behind, according to your statement. About how many would you say? Oh, less than a dozen. And you had a clear view of the collision? More or less. It happened very fast. As far as you could tell, did Mr. Bishop, the driver on Ridgecrest, take any evasive action when he came through the intersection? Evasive action? Try to swerve out of the way to avoid the collision. Well, just before he hit the other car, yes.
Only just before? At the last second. He claims he sounded a warning. In your statement, you said you couldn't recall hearing his horn blow. Mrs. Blunt sipped some of her tea, Pinky extended like a character in a British drawing room farce, before she answered. Well, all my windows were closed, and it was a windy, foggy day, but I think I would have heard a horn if it had been blowing. Small points in Arthur Clements' favor. Enough to sway a civil court judge and jury? Probably not. Could he have seen the Clements car coming as he neared the intersection? I doubt it. Trees there block your vision, which is why a person should always come slow down the hill. Did he seem to be fighting for control of his car, could you tell? The way somebody would if his brakes had gone out and he was trying to use gears or the emergency brake to reduce his speed?